Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm the Bill Arnold part of that short sentence, and I've got, once again, an outstanding show for you. Rob Louie is going to join me in just a second or two, and then Dr. Alex McFarlane is coming on the program, and then an hour with Jeff Verdorn. We're going to continue our series on who is this Jesus. So that's what the plan is for today. Rob Louie is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can always head over to dailysignal.com. Rob, welcome. Hey, Bill. It's good to be back with you today. Good. Are you all ready for the weekend? I hope so. I think we've gotten our Christmas shopping done. I'm not sure if Congress here in Washington is ready for the weekend, though. They have a lot of work to do before the weekend. I am guessing they've got a lot on their plate. Let's talk about what they're facing and what are some of the decisions they're making or trying to make. You bet. Well, as is sometimes the case here in Washington, the Christmas holiday (laughs) brings out Uh, the worst in our lawmakers, and they are debating a massive omnibus spending bill. We call it an omnibus spending bill because they basically take all of the pieces and things that they didn't get done through the regular course of business, and they cram it all into a 4,000-some-odd-page bill that costs $1.85 trillion. (sighs) And yeah, it's uh, it's exactly (sighs) what you would expect. They're full of of pork barrel project earmarks, uh, all, all sorts of things that uh, government should not be uh, certainly spending money on in this fashion. Uh, m- maybe if you went through a normal appropriations process or a budgeting process like you and I have to do with our families at home, you know, you could reach these these decisions independently. But when you don't give lawmakers any time, or in this case, 48 hours to try to read every single uh, word in this bill, they're, they're not able to to have a, a debate. And there won't be time for debate, frankly, because they're going to run out the clock and uh, otherwise the government shuts down. So uh, it's uh, it's certainly something that as conservatives, we uh, we don't like to see it because it's, it's not the process that they should be using. But also, it ignores the reality of the fact that we're spending too much money as it is. And this bill does nothing to curtail government spending. It is only going to make inflation worse. Inflation was caused by all of this government spending during COVID to begin with, and they're just throwing more uh, fuel on the fire. Rob, their their method seems so flawed. I, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, how do you seriously take any of this w- with any seriousness when you've got to read a 4,000-page bill in 48 hours? Well, part of it, Bill, is they, they know that they have been able to get a, get away with this in the past. Hmm. They put the deadline right up against a major holiday like this, so the lawmakers are eager to get home to their families, as they should be, and they're not going to provide the scrutiny. They're just going to, to vote for it and, and move on. If they had done this during the normal course of business and it was debated before the September 30th deadline, uh, the end of the fiscal year, then we would have had time to have these types of conversations. But instead, they were procrastinating with other <laughs> other things on their agenda and did not want to, to do this. So they realize that people aren't paying attention the week before Christmas. Obviously, American people have their mind on other things, as they rightly should. And uh, that's why they're trying to sneak it through. So I think one of the most important aspects of this that uh, will be a consequence uh, for those who pay close attention to some of the campaign promises that Republicans made before winning the House and they'll take the gavel on January 3rd, is they said oversight and, and holding government accountable was going to be a huge priority for them. 
Well, how are they going to possibly do that if they give away all of their leverage right now at the end of this Congress? This bill will fund the government through September 30th of 2023. And as as you and I know, uh, having the power of the purse is an important uh, tactic that uh, lawmakers can use to hold government accountable, and they will be giving up and sacrificing that opportunity. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on here. This is a bipartisan bill. Uh, House Republicans are opposed to it, but there are certainly uh, um, uh, certainly enough votes in the Senate uh, to get it across the finish line, uh, unless there are um, you know 41 Republicans who decide to say no. Well, I'm I appreciate uh, learning that, Rob. I, I'll be I'll be curious to see what happens. I'm sure you will be as well. Uh, we, yeah, and yeah. and you know if um, your listener your listeners can can. Stay tuned because I, I think it'll be uh, a Thursday vote. So we're looking at something that probably will take place on Thursday. And then, of course, uh, with the 23rd being a Friday, uh, which is when the, the funding deadline runs out, the House will have to have to pass it and President Biden will need to sign it in order to avoid the government shutdown. So, yeah, they're frantically trying to get it done, Bill. And uh, and let's hope that when we have new leadership in the next Congress, it does not come down to this, uh, although I uh, wouldn't necessarily place a bet on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Rob Louie is my guest. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. Rob, what's going on with the Supreme Court um, and Title 42? Yeah, so an interesting ruling. Uh, the, the court uh, decided to put a stay on the Title 42, uh, which is es- essentially a method that President Trump employed during COVID in order to uh, stem the uh, flow of illegal immigrants into the United States, uh, primarily because of of COVID and concerns over over the health. And the Supreme Court halted the expiration of co- this uh, this uh, policy, which is known as Title Forty Two. It was set to expire tomorrow, and there were grave concerns along the the border communities and cities uh, in the in the Southwest that they would see an explosion of illegal immigrants because with Title Forty Two no longer in force, there would be an opportunity for these uh, these illegal immigrants to cross the border and uh, to certainly to make their way into the country without any recourse on the part of Border Patrol to stop them. Uh, so this is a temporary delay. I, I think we need a definitive action by Congress uh, to, to certainly provide clarity to our Border Patrol agents and, and hopefully address this border crisis. I mean, we have seen over the course of the last two years, an explosion of illegal immigration into this country, and it is being fueled by the policies of this administration, and they have not shown the desire or will to do anything about it. And so this is one of those areas I was just talking about when it comes to oversight and government accountability, where Republicans promised to hold Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, accountable, and it's going to be difficult to do that if they don't have uh, the levers uh, and the the financial strings to pull in order to... um, to make changes at the department. So, so Bill, uh, a temporary relief on the part of Border Patrol, but uh, certainly something that is not going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Rob, what would you say is the future of conservatives? It's, uh, well, it's a big question, Bill. We could probably spend your entire show <laughs> talking about it. Take as but, much time uh, as you like. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. You The conservative movement today is in a much different place than, than it was uh, before Donald Trump came onto the scene and certainly uh, in the days of Ronald Reagan or Barry Goldwater. And by that, I mean, I, it's become much more populist. Uh, there are conservatives today who are are very focused on the cultural battles, not just the national security and economic issues that 
uh, come to mind when you think of the 1980s and, and 1990s. And I think that that's a good thing. I think that it's, it's a good thing that they've prioritized our culture because there are so many issues that you and I talk about week in and week out, whether it be marriage or whether it be the uh, life issue, or whether it be uh, the gender debates that we're having in our culture, education, all of these things affect us at a very personal level. Uh, the family, for instance, fatherhood, motherhood, you know, all of those things that are core to what, Amer what makes America the great country that it is. And we have seen an effort on the part of the left to really attack these institutions. And so what conservatives are really trying to do is conserve these institutions that we have known to, to love and respect and cherish so much. And so to the extent that there are uh, changes in the future of conservatism, I think it's one that will be much more focused on, on those types of issues. That's not to discount. I mean, we've just spent the early part of the show talking about spending issues. Uh, conservatives will always be for limited government and smaller government. I think that is, a, by their nature, uh, one of the, the hallmarks. And I think they'll always be for a strong national defense and believing in peace through strength, uh, wanting to avoid foreign entanglements and wars because we have a strong military. And so there are going to be many debates on this topic over the course of the next year, as there often would be during a Republican presidential primary. And uh, we'll see who ultimately emerges victorious and who has the... Uh, you know, the, the mantle of conservatism to really um, espouse at a political level in the years to come. Mm -hmm. Rob, who would you say is one of the, some of the leaders of the conservative movement? Well, uh, I would like to think that it's the Heritage Foundation and Kevin I, Roberts. I, I mean, would agree. For, for, agree for, 50, yeah. for 50 years, the Heritage Foundation has been that, that standard bearer, the, the, the flagship, uh, believing that ultimately we need to encourage human flourishing. Uh, we need to restore self-government uh, as much as we can to the American people. And that is one of the things that, um, that, that Heritage has long prided itself on, and Kevin Roberts being our president as, uh, is, is the leader of that. There are so many other movement conservative organizations that have emerged, though, not only in recent years, but over the course of the last 50 years. If you think about 1973 and what the landscape was Back then, Richard Nixon in the White House, Roe v. Wade just being decided. I mean, it was a situation where conservatives really were in the wilderness. Now you find in poll after poll, conservatives make up a sizable part of the population. And, uh, and in some cases, I think independents who don't want to identify with a particular ideology or a political party uh, have conservative tendencies. And, and, uh, and at their heart are probably Christians um, who believe in God and, uh, and have a strong re religious tendency as well. So, so Bill, I, I think that there are many different leaders. From a political standpoint, that's what I was talking about in terms of who leads the Republican Party. I, I make a slight distinction there because the re leader of the Republican Party is different than the leader of the conservative movement. Mm -hmm. Um, hopefully that leader is somebody who espouses conservative beliefs, but we're going to go through a process here where Donald Trump has already declared his candidacy and you have many other names being banded about and voters will have a choice in terms of who they think uh, best represents it. Yeah. If you want to hear a nice conversation between a couple of Heritage Foundation presidents, uh, President Kevin Roberts uh, has got a great interview with uh, the longest serving president uh, at the Heritage from... 77 to 2013. Uh, pronounce his name for me. Yes, Ed Fulner. Ed Fulner, uh, Ed Fulner exactly right. is, uh, is, our, is our founder, and you're absolutely yep. right. For, for more than three decades, uh, held the job. He and Kevin sat down and did have uh, a great conversation about this very topic. And certainly, I think that that's uh, one of the things that we cherish at Heritage, obviously being part of our name, is those who came before us. Right. And uh, the, the, uh, certainly the contributions they've made. And 
we have big challenges ahead of us. We talk about them every week on this show, Bill. And uh, the, the encouraging thing is that, uh, and the thing I love most about conservatives is that we're congenital optimists. And certainly that's a word that Fulner used often mm-hmm. and believes that, uh, that our best days are still yet ahead of us. Yeah, I appreciate that, Rob. I was going to encourage people to head to dailysignal.com if they're interested in hearing that interview, that podcast. And the title of it is called uh, the article that I found it in is called What Now Conservatives? Ed Fulner Remains Optimistic. So there you go. We'll take a break and we'll be right back with Rob Bluey in just a minute. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. We're back after a slightly longer than usual delay. I apologize for that. We are talking to Rob Bluey, who is... The executive editor at The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com. So, Rob, what's going on at Twitter? Has there been some uh, some journalist suspension? What's going on? Oh, there's a lot of news coming out of Twitter. Certainly, Elon Musk is not one to run away from the headlines. He makes the headlines, Bill. And uh, we have seen the release of uh, what, we, what he calls the Twitter files, I think in seven parts now. A different Twitter user has revealed uh, certain internal documents about them. But the story that you refer to uh, regarding journalists is that Musk has decided to really increase enforcement on those who are, what he says, violating Twitter's rules. And the the big suspension involved individuals who are tech reporters. And what they did was they shared um, information or, or covered a story related to what Musk uh, refers to as doxing. And that, that's when you disclose the location of an individual online against their wishes. And so in this particular case, Ma- Elon Musk has a private jet and there is somebody on another platform that was tracking the movements of the jet. So obviously puts his safety at risk if uh, individuals who don't particularly like him uh, know where he's going to be. And so these these journalists uh, provided links uh, to that, and Musk uh, changed the Twitter policy and said you couldn't do that, and so then he suspended them. Uh, in uh, in another case, uh, Taylor Lorenz, who's a Washington Post reporter, uh, he said that uh, she was unable to provide links to other social media platforms. So there's a variety of reasons why the journalists have been kicked off. I think that the most important story behind this is Musk is giving a lot of these individuals a a taste of what conservatives and Christians Mm -hmm. have experienced over the last five years when we felt that we were arbitrarily suspended uh, for doing things that certainly didn't warrant that type of suspension. A colleague of mine, as you might recall, Bill, was uh, thrown off the platform for what was termed as misgendering, uh, referring to an individual by their, uh, their, their sex at birth, and uh, received a, Twitter received a complaint, and that individual was kicked off unless um, he, he deleted the tweet. And we've seen so many of these examples that the left has used to, to block and censor speech. And in and, and Musk's case, uh, really, the suspensions didn't last very long. He, he's keen on taking these Twitter polls where he'll ask the users what he should do. And uh, the Twitter poll said they should let him back on, and he did. So, you know, it's uh, it's not like they uh, they suffered in Twitter jail for all that long. Yeah. Uh, and, and some individuals have. Um, 
For instance, the Babylon Bee was off the platform, uh, a satirical website for for many months, uh, mm-hmm. for because Twitter had suspended it, and Musk, of course, uh, brought uh, brought them back, granted them amnesty, as he calls it. Well, it seems like conservatives and Christians were being banned all the time, and the media didn't seem to care that much. Oh, absolutely, you're you're right. Uh, we we were, <laughs> and it's not. By the way, I should should point out, it's, it wasn't just Twitter. I mean, there are still plenty of other social media platforms that are taking this. Uh, action against uh, conservatives and Christians. I I know of a couple of recent examples on Facebook, for instance, where an individual uh, was trying to post content and because it didn't necessarily align with the the views of the leadership at Facebook, uh, felt that he was being what what he called shadow banned or or certainly throttled in his ability to reach his audience. And so Twitter is the most recent example to come under under, uh, scrutiny, in part because Musk is changing the policies in the direction, believing in free speech, as, uh, as, as the guiding principle there at Twitter. And I think that that's generally how most of these platforms should operate. And that's how they did operate, uh, largely up until the time that Donald Trump won the presidency in 2016, when many of these platforms were, in, in effect, blamed by the left for creating a forum in which Trump voters were able to organize and share information and, and have conversations. And they didn't necessarily like that. So they came up with excuses uh, such as hate speech policies or misinformation Mm -hmm. policies, and they use those fairly broadly or liberally uh, to ban users. And so we've experienced that. Uh, We've had, we have strikes on our account at YouTube, for instance, because we've featured uh, the views of a former transgender individual and a a pediatrician talking about uh, the dangers of transgenderism. And YouTube uh, obviously objects to that under its hate speech policy and has uh, given us warnings and strikes. So it's uh, it's across the board. I mean, it's amazing uh, to think that we live in a society today where so many individuals are are offended by, by speech when I, you know, I personally believe that we should have more speech in this country, not less. I I agree. So, Rob, let's talk about where wokeness is going. Now we're seeing welfare programs that are based on race and gender identity. Yeah, it's it's really this is another area where uh, where I think the the left is out of control. And unfortunately, this Biden administration is doing things that um, that that are, are are are, are not good for the future of the country. And that is by inserting this into so many different programs. Also, uh, we, we can go back to the start of this conversation. There are so many earmarks in this current bill that Congress is debating related to race and gender, uh, which I don't think have any place uh, for for consideration in, in, a, in a type of bill like this, uh, carving out a, a specific political agenda that we as taxpayers are ultimately going to end up funding. And so, but to include it in welfare programs and to incorporate it throughout our government is just uh, the path that, uh, that we're unfortunately embarking upon. And I think that for individuals who believe that, in the words of Martin Luther King and others uh, who came before him, uh, you know, particularly on the issue of, of race, I mean, this is not the direction or the, or the vision that our founders had for, for America. And not everything needs to be th- viewed through the prism of gender and, and race. And so many want to employ these intersectional tests uh, to every individual in this country. It's just... Um, an alarming trend and something that uh, we need to change. Mm-hmm. Rob Bluey is my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Rob, over at DailySignal.com, great uh, story that the Department of Justice is charging two more pro-life women uh, with violations of the freedom of access to clinic entrances. It's the FACE Act. Would you say more about that? Yes. Well, and you and I have talked about this before because there's a real disparity, Bill, in, in terms of what the Department of Justice is doing to pro-life activists versus 
what is happening to those who are on the other side of the issues and the fact that they are not facing any type of prosecution for mm-hmm. their actions. Um, but in this particular case, the FACE Act is a federal law, and it is, uh, it is one that the Department of Justice is, is using uh, to target protesters at pro-life, uh, pro-life protesters at abortion clinics, uh, individuals who show up to protest or counsel women and uh, try to encourage them to think uh, of, of other options than an abortion. And, uh, and yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know other than pure politics as to why it seems that they are using this law to uh, target uh, pro-lifers. The law also applies to other organizations that uh, have faced uh, uh, certainly consequences in the wake of the Dobbs decisions, uh, pregnancy uh, cl- resource clinics and, and others that uh, certainly help women uh, find other options in abortion. I mean, they have been vandalized and defaced and those individuals have uh, been able to escape uh, mm-hmm. prosecution for, for those cases. Yeah. And Rob, the South Dakota governor, Kristi Noem, is getting some uh, kudos for uh, her terminating a a state health department contract with a a transgender activist group. Would you say more about that? Yeah, and and credit to my colleague, uh, Tyler O'Neill at The Daily Signal, who has followed this story closely. Uh, In fact, he's he's done, I think, about three different stories about the developments that are taking place there in South Dakota. Uh, When The Daily Signal informed Governor Nome of the situation, she acted swiftly and was unaware prior to our bringing this to her attention. And as a result, uh, the Secretary of Health uh, has uh, retired early, shall we say, mm-hmm. uh, from her post. And uh, Governor Nome announced that she is uh, terminating the, the state health department contract with the transgender activist group. Uh, she's also uh, strongly condemning uh, the fact that uh, any state funds were used to promote this uh, this medical intervention, uh, particularly for kids. And so I think that we need more leaders like Governor Nome to speak out and uh, raise awareness about these types of issues. That is uh, certainly something that I know uh, conservatives and Christians care about, particularly, again, when it comes to young children who are oftentimes in a state of confusion or going through their own changes, bodily changes. And as uh, we, we know from prior evidence and experience, they change their mind. And so why you would put them through puberty blockers and other types of therapy uh, to make these life-altering changes is a, a big question that uh, parents, I think, need to consider. Yeah. Rob, thank you so much. Delight having you on the show, as always, and have a very Merry Christmas. Thank you, Bill. You Merry bet. Christmas to you. Thank you so much. Rob Bluey's been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com. After a break, my friend Dr. Alex McFarland will join me. I can hardly wait. Glad to have Rob Bluey on. Thank you, Rob, for your faithfulness to the show. And now I get a chance to chat with my friend, Dr. Alex McFarland. You know him because he's on every couple of weeks and he's a Christian apologist and an author. He's an evangelist. He's a religion and culture analyst and he's 
above and beyond everything else, a brother in Christ. Alex, welcome. Well, Merry Christmas, Bill. How are you, my friend? I'm wonderful, and Merry Christmas to you and your family. Oh, thank you very much. Um, It's my favorite week of the year, by the way. Oh, it's fantastic. And for so many, um, it kind of is a magnifying glass on a a person's life, because everything in their life kind of looks bigger at Christmas time, I think. Yeah, I I think so, and... I know they they say it's a time when, you know, sometimes people experience depression and sadness, and and that's understandable, but this really is a glorious time that we commemorate uh, the fact that God came onto the stage of human history, and Jesus was born in that manger to go to Calvary's cross to be our Savior. It it really is glorious news, actually. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about the expression... In Christ, and the question I have is, what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, you know, I think this goes to Galatians three and Romans fourteen. You know, Romans fourteen nine talks about being baptized into Christ, mm-hmm. and uh, Galatians three. Uh, 24 through 27 talks about being in Christ and being baptized into Christ. Um, I, I would say salvation puts us in Christ in several ways. For one, um, it, it says that we are we are grafted into him, but also we're, we're made a member of the body of believers, the family of God, which is also often called the bride of Christ. And it goes on and it says that in Galatians 3.27, we have put on Christ. Mm. And so to be a believer, there's a lot of ways we can say it, born again, saved, converted, redeemed, regenerated. But when we've got a personal relationship with Jesus, we are we are in the Savior. We're in Christ. So, Alex, when we think about our identity in Christ, does everything that Christ did for us become part of our identity? I mean, when this little Savior is born to the into the world several thousand years ago. Is that that's is that part of our identity that this baby came to save the world from sin? Yeah, um, th- that does give us our identity. You know, Colossians three three. This is just amazing, Bill. I'm you. You are so led by the Holy Spirit, brother, hmm. uh, because you always seem to bring out just the right truths to discuss, but. This is amazing. Colossians 3, 3 says, You have died, and your life is now hid with Christ mm-hmm. in God. And C.S. Lewis used to talk about the fact that, um, you know, only in Jesus Christ do we really find ourselves, the real you, but the, the best you and the perfected you. And Lewis talked about the the tragic irony if we reject Christ and we indulge ourselves to find our own way and you know do whatever we want to do feed the flesh not only do we miss God but we we really lose ourselves but if we will submit ourselves and die to self and live for Jesus uh, and in Jesus we really become the real the real person and uh, I know this is kind of abstract spiritual truths that I think it takes the Holy Spirit to comprehend, but the way to 
the way to lose yourself is to try to live for yourself, but the way to truly find life and, and find the real you is by throwing yourselves at the feet of Christ, the Savior. Amen. So uh, in Galatians, uh, basically what we learn is in, in Christ Jesus, we, we are all children of God through faith, because apart mm-hmm. from faith, we're not part of God's family. We're in his image, created in his image, but we're not part of his family. And if I look at even verses like 1 Peter 5, 14, that says, greet one another with the kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. I mean, there's even a specific greeting. Make sure you greet people who are in Christ. And Philippians mm. 1, 1 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. I mean, they're talking about who are in Christ. And I think it's critical at Christmas time that we're uh, making sure we are part of God's family, that we are in Christ, that we've placed our faith in Jesus. Amen. Uh, that, that is so wonderful that you would say that. Um, uh, Bill, I just uh, early this morning turned in an article to our um, publicist, and it's going to be probably even as we speak is being submitted to wire services. But I wrote this article that says Christmas proves things about God that this generation needs to hear. And I was reading an article about how so many um, millennials and younger uh, are having really kind of a crisis of identity and a crisis of context. Hmm. The people, you know, there's so much that previous generations would not have questioned that seems to be just up for grabs now, moral boundaries, even uh, what is gender and... uh, what does it mean to be a human being? And even America, you know, uh, I love America. I'm very patriotic, but so often in the media and certainly in the classroom, America is just trashed. And so there, there are masses of people, especially young people, but even of all ages, and, and they don't really have a grasp on who they are, why they're here, um, what should I believe is really true, and should I invest myself in in like anything, right? A crisis of identity. And, and Bill, I was thinking about Christmas, which is just one of the most documented facts of, of history, that Christ came. And by the way, there was a, a Roman emperor named Hadrian. This is so awesome. This is just one of literally hundreds of historical data points. But Hadrian died in 138 AD, okay? So this is like... 90, roughly 95 years after the crucifixion resurrection. The the emperor Hadrian said that Jesus was born in a cave in Bethlehem, the location of which has been long known. Now think about that. A reference to Jesus, a reference to his birth in Bethlehem, very often caves were used as stables, Hadrian, an emperor, said the location of which has been long known. Hmm. And that was roughly in the 130s. So apparently for decades, people had known about the birthplace of Jesus. Now, now tying it back to people today with a crisis of identity, I mean, look, if Christmas really happened, and the record of history is unequivocally clear that it did, then we know God has acted in human history. God cares about our need and our predicament because he sent his son to be our savior. God could 
plan. God could execute a plan. God has a personal interest in us. And and God is sovereign. And Bill, I gotta say this, and I'll throw it back to you. Here's the thing. Sin, death, the grave, and Satan himself were all conquered by a baby. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Yeah, exactly. God is in control. And my message to people in this article that I, you know, released this morning, look, I know life is hard, and I, I know there there are peaks and valleys, but Christmas says God loves you, and you matter to God, and Almighty God came down to the stage of human history because you have purpose, you have value, and Bill, I, I'd put it on a billboard on every street corner if I could. God loves you. Please believe it. Mm-hmm. So, Alex, if I have received Jesus by placing my faith in him, so I would be in Christ, meaning that I've accepted his sacrifice as payment for my sin. Yeah. Yeah. Don't have to turn cartwheels to get God to love you. No. He, he paid it on the cross, and he loves you supremely. And um, even if we stumble in sin, and we, we, we shouldn't, we should take sin seriously and try to live righteously. But look, even if we do sin, he still loves us, and his love for us is undiminished. Isn't that wonderful? It's fantastic. And in Romans 5.10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by his death, death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So... In other words, the Bible is saying that our natural state, which is sin, puts us as an enemy of God. And I I think there'll be plenty of conversations coming up over the holidays where there'll be a friend or a relative or someone who's outside of the faith, but will act as if they're good. Like they're 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 okay with God. God isn't mad at them, and they're 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 in good standing, which just won't be true. Yeah. I mean, I mean, really, I mean, we could be the most moral, upright person uh, from a human, you know, vantage point. But the Bible says if we're not in Christ, we are an enemy with God. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, um, like Second Corinthians five uh, twelve talks about being reconciled to God. Now, if if there's the possibility to be reconciled and the need to be reconciled, it must mean that. Apart from Christ, we are unreconciled. Uh, you've heard the legal phrase, irreconcilable differences. Listen, uh, you could be a, a struggling, weeping sinner, but put your faith in Jesus and you'll be connected with the Lord. On the other side, you could be the most upright, moral, rigidly religious person in town, but if you haven't received the gift and the forgiveness through faith in Jesus, you, you and God are irreconcilable mm-hmm. until you come to Christ. Yeah. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off, but have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. Uh, that, that's just so beautiful. Brought near by the brought blood near. of his cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all of this... You know, Bill, I think this is part of why Christmas is so captivating for all ages. And I mean... Um, not only some of our most beloved and cherished songs, images, and stories, I think about, you know, the the song by that French wine merchant, 
O holy night, <laughs> away in a manger, silent night, O mm-hmm. come all ye faithful, uh, you know, uh, God rest ye merry gentlemen, and even Brenda Lee rocking around the Christmas tree. <laughs> I mean, and then, then incredibly, I've seen It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. I kid you not, I have to have seen that thing three dozen times. Yeah. And I still love it. And I think Christmas captivates us and moves composers and artists and writers from O. Henry to, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis, because it is the, I'm not being superficial here, it's the greatest story ever told. History's greatest rescue mission, the coming of Jesus. Yeah, Uh, beautiful. Dr. Alex McFarlane is my guest. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll be uh, joined by Alex, and you can go learn more about him, if you'd like, at alexmcfarlane.com. He's written over 20 books, and you're going to definitely want to go check out alexmcfarlane.com. We'll be right back. We want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests to articles about topics you are interested in to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. Always glad to be talking to my friend, Dr. Alex McFarland, and we've been talking about what it means to be in Christ and how critical it is, because once you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are, you are you're in Christ, which is a, a wonderful uh, piece of good news. And Alex, in Romans 8, 17, um, we also learn that we're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So not only are we children... And we're in Christ, but we are co-heirs with Christ, so we will share in that glory. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just hard to believe. <laughs> it I mean, is. You know, an heir is somebody who inherits something. Mm-hmm. And um, Luke 12.32, Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I mean, that's the most mind-boggling verse I mean, if imagine if you discovered that you were uh, a relative of some wealthy person and you'd been left in the will, and you might think, "Wow, that's great! I was an heir to you know some sum of money or something, and I didn't even know it." The Son of God said, "You remember He had told the disciples, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer; I've overcome the world, and our." Sins are not imputed against us, you know, as Galatians talks about, Galatians. But he says in Luke twelve thirty two, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I mean, what will you inherit as a born-again child of God? Uh, heaven and the universe itself and all the love of God and the riches of glory. Now, maybe... That's why, um, do you remember A.W. Tozer, Bill? I'm I'm sure you've heard that name. Mm -hmm. Amazing Christian leader, probably died in the very, very early 60s. But he talked about the fact that, 
you know, the the Christian is really an oddity in this world because, you know, we're elevated by humbling ourselves, and, you know, we live by dying. And, and there are, you know, paradoxes, you might say. But it, he's, Tozer said, look, a Christian who is dead broke is wealthier than a rich person who's unsaved. A Christian who is on a deathbed with a terminal illness is actually healthier than a lost person whose body is whole. And uh, that's what it means to be an heir. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we actually have things that last. Alex, I love that, that the, air, the term heir is sort of connecting us in our relationship to God as the Father and as his children. I love what it says in First Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, and it's kept in heaven. So he's storing it for us, which I love. Yeah. Um, rust can't corrode it. Uh, thieves can't break in and steal it. It's uh, an inheritance that doesn't fade away. Whereas anything else in this world, I mean, as much as, you know, there, there are accomplishments and achievements that, you know, are undeniably significant, right? But, um, uh, you know, I was in um, the Charlotte area to preach at a pastor's conference. This is probably about five years ago. And north of Charlotte on Interstate 77 is a small town called Huntersville. So, you know, if you're um, a Christian of a certain age in, you know, America, you, you know of Billy Graham, you love Billy Graham, and, and rightly so. I mean, Billy Graham is, was amazing. But I'm at this pastor's conference, probably 20 minutes from the Billy Graham Museum. And there was a young pastor, and he's probably, you know, 32, 33. And I, in my sermon, I, I mentioned something about Billy Graham. So several young pastors come up, and this one guy, he goes, he goes, yeah, I know I should know this. Hey, help me out here. I know I should know this because I hear this name all the time, but, but like, who was Billy Graham? <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and I'm like, well, um, he was an evangelist and he preached to, you know, face to face in front of like one out of every eight humans. Uh, <laughs> and 20 minutes down the road is his museum. And he met with every president since Harry Truman. But here's the thing. First John 2, 15 through 17 says the world is passing away. And all these things, all the celebrity, the wealth, the bling of life, it's all going to be gone and forgotten one day. But yet, when you're an heir of Christ Jesus, you have an inheritance mm -hmm. that will never fade away and will count forever. Yeah. And um, listen, I, I talk to kids that they don't know who the Beatles are. I know, Bill, you and I, we couldn't imagine. Can't imagine. How can, yeah. how can you not know who the Beatles are? But as famous as they were... Uh, rapidly being forgotten, and yet uh, what we have in Jesus is eternal. Mm -hmm. And that's where we need to maximize, because the, the only thing that we really have, our identity, back to your question a few moments ago, our identity is our relationship with the Lord. And Alex, because we're um, adopted children and we are in Christ, we share in that inheritance of Jesus. So what belongs to Jesus, belongs to us, and Christ gives us it his really glory. Does. Amen. How oh, is that not the best Amen. news ever? For real, for real. And the Father looks at us and doesn't see 
uh, sin or failure, but sees the righteousness of his own son. Look, I know we're we're humans, and we very often have, you know, lower earthly desires. But the the most treasured possession you've got, if you're a Christian, is the imputed righteousness of Christ. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, if somebody, you might have millions of dollars in the bank, and you might be set for life. But really, if you're a Christian, the most precious reality in your life is that the the holiness of the Son of God has been accredited to you through faith. Mm. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. And I never get tired of talking about it, which is one of the reasons I'm glad they give me a two-hour radio show. Amen. Amen. Romans 8. 33 says that God is not imputing your sins to you, charging or condemning you for your sins if you've put your faith in Christ as the propitiation for your sins. And it goes on, it says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5.19 repeats that, though. If we're in Christ, and Bill, I know we've only got a minute or two left, but here is one of the um, legal attributes of reality. People don't know this, but it's a legal universe. Uh, And what I mean by that is um, the Bible talks about headship, H-E-A-D-S-H-I-P, headship, that uh, we're either under Adam or we're under Jesus. We're we're under one of those two categories. And Adam is called the, the head of the race. Sometimes theologians will use the word federal headship, meaning that it's it's like a legal universe. And people say, well, gee, I, I don't think this way. Well, maybe not, but it's how reality works. And if you come to Christ and you simply say, Lord, I, I'm sorry for my sins, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, as he said, and I believe that when he died on that cross, he was doing it for me, as he said. And Lord, I, I'm accepting his gift and I'm asking you to save my soul and wash me clean. If you pray that and you're putting your trust, that's what that's what the Greek word pistuo, faith, means trust, okay? Mm-hmm. You, in the eyes of the Father, are no longer under Adam, but you're under Christ, who is the last Adam. And you're no longer unrighteous, but in the eyes of God, you've been declared righteous. God makes this legal declaration ratified by and guaranteed by the promises of his word, and your guilt is not over your head anymore, but the holiness of Christ has been imputed or imparted to you. And more than money, more than anything, the most precious thing you've got is the fact, dear believer, that the righteousness of the Son of God has been appropriated to you, and you'll never be judged and whenever you leave this world, you'll be right in the presence of the mm. Savior in the joys of heaven forever. So good, Alex. I say Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Amen. Yeah. So I mean, we just have a minute that, left. What is yeah. one tradition of Christmas that you're especially looking forward to? Uh, well... Uh, every Christmas Eve, you know, mom and dad did it for years, and then they're they're in heaven now, and 
my uh, my wife's mom, she's in heaven as of March 16th. We always, Christmas Eve, right before we go to bed, we read Luke chapter 2. Beautiful. And we pray as a family. And, um, you know, when I was a kid, I was thinking about the toys I might get. <laughs> but now i got to tell you, uh, I look forward to about 1130 on Christmas Eve where we're in for the night and we read the Christmas story from Luke 2. How about yourself? Well, I'm... I'm going to probably pick up that tradition because that's a beautiful tradition is to close my, my day with Luke too. But now we'll be gathering with family and there'll be lots of uh, laughter and fun and, and then uh, plenty of time to worship as well. Amen. Yeah. God is good. He is indeed. Bill, you are a blessing. Thank you, Alex, as you are. Thank you so much. And have a very Merry Christmas. And to you and all the wonderful Faith Radio listeners, bless you. Thank you so much. Dr. Alex McFarland has been my guest, and you want to learn more about him, you can go to his website, alexmcfarland.com. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got Jeff Verdorn that's going to come in, and we're going to continue our series on who is this Jesus. I think we're up to about episode number 11. That'd be my guess, but we'll find out when Jeff joins us. So uh, thank you so much for... um, uh, supporting Faith Radio and caring about everything we do here. Um, if you want to um, nominate someone for Give Hope for Christmas, you might want to head to our website, myfaithradio.com, and check it out. And if you've not gotten the Faith Radio app, check it out. Put that on your phone, too. And if you don't like it, you can take it off, but I recommend you giving it a try. We'll be right back in just a minute with Jeff. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.